0: So, um, I'm going to give you guys an equation. Now, according to uh, my own cultural heritage, you know, we love equations. My kids, stereotypically, are supposed to be great at math. Actually, they are, but I don't know. They, they, they are. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a James 5 equation, Okay. So this is what I mean. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the, the progression of James 5. All these are variables. And then I, at the end of the scripture explanation, you probably will, might be like, okay, so what? What are you calling us to do? And then what I'm going to do time and time again ad nauseum is say, A plus B plus C plus D equals what? And then it's really up to you to determine what that what will be for you. But um, I'm going to give you uh, a, a principle going forward, okay? So this is kind of the blueprint for today. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray for our time and pray that the, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to us. So, uh, yeah, please stand, and, and, and I'm going to pray. Father, I, I thank you that there is one means of salvation It's through the cross. It's through the death of Jesus. It's through the wonderful message that Jesus saves. And and, and at the same time, that has a spiritual transformative effect on our lives. And I just pray that you would oversee this process and you would continue to to speak to us. Some of us need encouragement in this room. And some of us need, um, need conviction. But you know the the word that we need, and so we pray that your will would be done, and you would be glorified, and our hearts would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I realize that for this message, I don't think I can sit down, so I'm going to stand up. Okay, um, now, uh, let me give you A to this James 5 equation. The thing with, with A is that it's actually not in James 5, but it is in other places of the scripture, so I feel like I need to put down A. Now, the first part of this equation... It comes from passages like 1 Timothy 6.17, which says that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I'm going to say that one more time. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So when it comes to money and possessions, we first need to realize that they are a gift from God. Are we all good? No one disagrees with that, Right? It's not the only scripture that says that. I mean, I can go to to Abraham and his camels and so on and so forth. Clearly, they are gifts from God. James doesn't seem to focus on that, but maybe it's just already a given. So we're going to give a freebie. Money and possessions are gifts from God. And God's people say amen? Okay, let's go on with B. Now, this is where we go into James chapter 5. Let me read this. All right. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Wow, James. James. James is giving it straight. Verse 2. Your riches have rotted. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And the corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Verse 4 Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Okay, now what is the first crime that's charged against the rich? Uh, The first crime, I mean, evidently, is hoarding wealth. Now, I got to say that when I was reading these these words, I, I sort of like intuitively jumped into the metaphorical because I can't relate to riches rotting. And then there is this verse about gold corroding. Where is that? Um, uh, your gold and silver have corroded. And I'm thinking, like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Gold, the property of gold that's, that makes gold what it is, is this very quality that it does not corrode. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm jumping all the way to the metaphorical. He must be like metaphorically spoiling. But it's interesting because then I was consulting my favorite commentary. And my favorite commentary says, don't jump. Into the metaphorical, you gotta realize that with the original audience this applied literally. I'm like, what are you talking about? Back then, if you were to store wealth, you would actually, you know, take gold coins and you would you would store them away. You would put them in the safe place. But not just that, but you would you would store wealth in the form of commodities like grain or oil so so you imagine like if I'm a rich, ancient person and I have uh money to buy fancy clothes like linen robes or tunics and, and and coats and maybe some of them are purple, I'm going to put them in my closet, and James is talking about that condition, or um I would have like a barn in the backyard and i would just i would just Stockpile grain. I would just, I would just store the grain in there. And so James is saying that grain is molding. There's mold on it, and the oil that you put away in barrels, that it's going rancid. Literally. Okay. Now he talks about gold, and I get gold. Gold corroding. I don't get that. I, I, I didn't really understand that. But I, I did a bit of research. Did you know that gold can actually corrode? Now it, it, it's, it's because gold is like I, it can be alloyed with another metal that does corrode, and so over time it can it can it can darken. And, and plus, it, it depends on how 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 much that gold would be accessible. It can tarnish with use. You get like soap and lotions and sweat and like you know finger grime, and then it has this opaque layer of grime on it. And so it looks like that. Now, this is, I think, somewhat dramatic. It's a little bit of a visual. I just want you to imagine that there is this promise of gold, which is that gold does not corrode, right? That's the promise of gold. Gold will never go bad. That's the promise of our our, our wealth and our riches. Gold will never go bad. And you imagine James going, really? Gold will never... And James like, really? Imagine James going, okay, I want you to take a piece of gold from that safe, and you take a piece of gold from that safe, and, and James like, hold it up, and you hold it up like that. And James going, really? You hold on to that too long, and it will do the same to your soul. That's the James sort of argument, right? He's saying that that promise that it wouldn't corrode, and it is corroding, is evidence Of what's going on inside. You're believing that this will take care of you. And look what's happening to that gold. And it's going to do the same thing with your soul. Okay, now at this point, it sounds like James is saying that he's against the storage and the accumulation of wealth. But I think motivation is important. So now I'm looking at the text and wondering, okay, what's the motivation? does James give any sort of motivation for why someone would want to store wealth right and so we're going that's later that's that's verse 5 sort of stuff but let's finish up with verse 3 James says you have laid up treasure in the and what's the next word church you have laid up treasure in the in the last days all right so that's my number That's my number C. I hope you guys don't mind if I skip to C, and then I want B to kind of be a summary of James 5, 1 to 6, okay? But C here would be last days. And so if you are tracking along in your outline, you can go ahead and put that in. James is saying, hey, church, do we know what time it is? Do do we have an understanding of what time it is right now? Imagine James saying, "Do you understand that ever since the fall of humankind, we've been waiting and waiting, and humanity has been waiting with bated breath for the Messiah to come, and they've been, you know, thousands of years, and waiting and waiting, and those were the preparation days, and then He came. Jesus came, and He died." And he ascended, and soon and very soon, he promised to come again and judge the world. And everything wrong will be made right, and the new world will begin. James says, do you understand what time we're in? It's just a little bit of time. Like all that before was waiting for him to come. And then he's going to come and set everything right. It's just a little, these are the last Days, right? I mean, that's 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 James, right? So here is James going, man. This is really urgent. This time is really urgent. You understand? These are the last days. He's he's coming. Okay, okay. So, um, so A, when it comes to, is it okay to be rich? And what do we do with money? How do we think of money? Number number uh, letter A is uh, money and possessions are a gift. Um, C is, do you understand that we're in the last days? Okay, now we're working on B, and I wanted B to be a summary of 1 to 6, so that we're working on that. Okay, so let's continue on uh, with, um, with James. James uh, addresses a real issue at the time for landowners, which is a failure to pay their workmen. You see that, right? I believe it's in, in verse number 4. And uh, I'm not sure that too many of us can relate to that. Uh, Maybe on a larger political scale, this might shape our perspective on how we think of the minimum wage. Uh, There is a concern here for the harvester, for the employee, for the dignity of their work, for just compensation. And and the way that James is approaching, is very interesting. The way that James approaches, like, hey, guys, we got to watch out. Because blue-collar employees who are not pay- paid fairly have a dangerous power. They have access-, access to a Father God who is listening to their cries. You guys see that? Their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This is a very dangerous thing. They have access to the Father. You guys see that argument. Um, but let's, let's move on. And now um, and now, perhaps my least favorite verse in all these six verses Verse number five. You have lived on the earth. Now, this is where we're talking about motivation, right? You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. It's like, ah. I, I, you know, You know, the thing about landowners and, like, not giving people, you know, I mean, frauding them and not giving them their, their wages. I, I, I'm not sure I can relate to that. I mean, I, I, we can go metaphorical and maybe we can all kind of... But this one in verse 5, this one's closer to home, you know? This one... As an American, I kind of get this one. This one makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And uh, I, I got to admit, I, I love those two words. I, I mean... I love luxury, and I, I happen to love self-indulgence. And, um, and I live in a society that seems to be saying to me, go on, you deserve it, right? And so, uh, this one, and I was, I, was, I was joking about this before, but, um, but I, I was doing a little bit of research. I, it, it, the image that I get when James says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, the image I get is one of like, Actually, it is Kobe beef, right? And so I heard that that Kobe beef cows are fed like, they're fed special grain and they're given beer on a daily basis. And I don't know if you know this, but the daily they're also massaged. Like cows are massaged. And as they're massaged, they're drinking sake. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes like, hey, I wouldn't mind being a Kobe beef cow. That sounds really good, right? And imagine James kind of entering the conversation like, "Yeah, but you know what happens to Kobe beef cows, right um, now now here's here's time for us to interact because you know it's 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 vacation, a lot of us are going on vacation you're like, oh, you you are you are you saying it's not right for me to go on vacation and get pampered, you know because i you know I was telling you i I did go." To Hong Kong and um, I drank a beer or two and I was massaged twice just like the Kobe beef cows you know I'm just like is that not okay is that I mean I, I... now my answer to that is I, I I think the answer is yes it is okay for a period of time uh, if you look at the totality of your year does it smell like self-indulgence or does it smell like self-sacrifice? That, I think that's an honest question. When you look at the totality every year, because Jesus said, if a, if a man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and daily follow me. Which, which seems to me like Jesus is saying that when the gospel of grace comes into a person's life, they are transformed and their life is marked by self-denial. That when a person realizes what Jesus has done for them, it leads to a life of self-denial. And so, it's okay to go on vacation and get pampered. But the real question is, when you look at the totality of your year, does it smell like self-indulgence? Or does it smell like self-denial that comes from knowing Jesus? Okay, last verse. You have murdered innocent men. They don't resist you. Quickly on this, the rich were dragging believers into court. I'm taking this literally. And so people with wealth and influence were murdering people. People with power were murdering people like Stephen. And so these were realities back then. I don't need to go metaphorical. And so James is addressing these things in uh, these six verses. Okay, so uh, let's go back to our game plan here, our equation, okay? So uh, A, money and possessions are a gift. C, James is saying we are living in the last days. Okay, I wanted B to be a summary of verses one to six And uh, if you don't mind, what I'd like you to do is just turn to a neighbor next to you, and I'd like to ask you how you would like to summarize. And if I did have more time, I would want to hear from you, but I'm just going to go ahead and and give you mine, okay? It's going to be a summary, a relevant summary of of verses 1 to 6. Turn to a neighbor next to you and go ahead and share. I'm just really going to give you like 30 seconds to do that, but let's just interact for a little bit, okay? Go. And the next person, share. I told you was quick. No, keep going, keep going. Well, actually, no, I have the next person, the other person, share. Yeah? Let's do that. Okay, uh, here's my summary of verse uh, 1 through 6. Um, it really does seem like in the beginning, James is like against hoarding. But I'm looking for some kind of motivation for like why? What is that What is that hoarding being used for? What's the purpose of that hoarding? And he gives us something in verse five. And so when I put them together, I think it's something like this. It's hoarding money for the purpose of self-indulgence. Now, you think that's fair summary? Well, clearly James is against that. I, I don't know. I mean, I... I I'm pretty good with English, I think. I, I learned reading comprehension all through school. I, I pretty much think that minimally, these six verses are saying that, that James is against hoarding for the purpose of self-indulgence. Are We agreed, right? So I'm going to put here, um, but, but but it's not just like, oh, well, James frowns against it, you know, in an emoji. He would put it upside, he would put it like a, a frowny face. No, I mean, James is talking about eating the the gold corroding your very soul i think he's saying look hoarding money for self-indulgence is dangerous right so i'm going to put dangerous right here dang russ all right so again we're kind of in this phase of the message where we're going okay what are you calling us to apply and i'm just like hey I like math that's doing equation, right? So money and possession are, are help me out, uh, church. Money and possession are gifts. And we live in the, okay. And you know, hoarding money for self indulgence is, okay, now you notice I have D right here. Now, D doesn't really come from James 5 because it's contextual. But I want to say this, which is that in the context of James, Um, James was talking about the wages of the laborers have been kept back. So James, of course, was speaking in context. I want to talk about the context today. Today, there are more than one billion people who are living and dying in desperate poverty. They live on $1 a day. Let me say that again. One billion people, $1 today. That's happening. Sometimes we do these series where we're talking about world hunger and people dying in poverty. And sometimes we don't. But even when we don't, this reality is true, right? Today, we're going to go home, and this reality will still be true. We don't see them, but it's still there. I'll give you another fact. Um, I don't know. The numbers could have gone down by now, but, um, but uh, Oracle Arena seats how many people? Help me out here. 19,500 plus, right? You round it up to the nearest thousands. It's 20,000 people, okay? Now here's the reality. Oracle Arena, you guys have been there. Oracle Arena—it's a big, vast stadium that holds about twenty thousand people. Twenty-six thousand kids every day are dying of poverty and preventable diseases. Twenty-six thousand—that's more than Oracle Arena, all filled with kids. God forbid that our kids would be part of the kids that that fills Oracle Arena, but that's a reality. Now, again, I don't have to talk about this, but it's still true. And we don't have to see it every day, but it's still true. Now, what what is here is the incredible need. All right, now this is the equation. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further, but this is the equation. Money and possessions are a gift from God. And, but do you know that, that storing it for self indulgence is really dangerous to your soul? And do you know that we live in the last days and Jesus is, is just around the corner and he's bringing judgment and he's bringing a new world? And do you know the need? Do you know that there are a billion? Do you know that Air Oracle Arena today will have that many full kids dying of poverty and preventable diseases now let me just pause a little bit and say what do you think the conclusion should be what do you think the conclusion should be now this is what a lot of american christians do a lot of american christians okay i'm i'm one they they do this they go this is my level of comfort okay This is my level of comfort, and a lot of that level of comfort is is what I see around me. I see different people doing this, different people doing that. I'm looking on Facebook. They're living at this sort of level. I want to live on that level too. Now, I'm going to make a few adjustments, you know, but really when I live on this level, what sort of extra can I give to people who are in need, right, right? It, it, it's, it's how American Christians think. You know, what can, I, what can I spare after I have met my level of comfort? Now, let me just ask you, when you look at this equation, does that seem right to you? And, and if you're like giving a little bit that you can spare, isn't that like American Christians saying, you know, on, 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 this, on Christmas time, I'm a good, generous Christian, so I give my slaves a chicken. Isn't that the same thing? Is it not the same thing? Am I being logical? It seems to me that the logical, biblical equation should be um, uh, a conclusion of application that's like this. How simply can I possibly live so I can free up all sorts of money to give away? I I think that would be the logical conclusion. How simply can I live so that I can start freeing up more money to give away? More money to give away. Because there are people who don't know Jesus. And they are going to die tonight without having heard the name of Christ. Because there are preventable diseases that I can be a part of preventing. I don't know. I'm just talking about logic here. I'm just talking about a biblical, logical equation. You know, I, I, am, now, um, I am now 43 years old. I'm in my, I'm in my mid-40s now. And I've been asking myself the question: Am I more radically generous now than I was five years ago? And the answer is no, not no, not really. I actually think I was more passionate about being generous with my money and giving to other people five years ago than I than I than I am now. And I'm thinking, like, well, what happened? And, and like right now, there's, there's more than a billion people living and dying in desperate poverty. And this is my, my honest explanation. The, the need just always just seems so great, you know? It's always this big, insurmountable need. And plus, those faces that are, the, that, that are filling Oracle, I don't see them every day. You know, what I, I, I do see every day is like I see my iPhone every day. And it's kind of like it's kind of like winding down, and I want the new one. That that's my reality. This is what I see every day. I don't see the stadium full of kids who are dying. I see this, and I go, I want the iPhone X, right? You're relating to me, right? I I I, I see my friends getting a better car. And I'm thinking, like, I could probably justify getting a better car. All I have to do is say to Raina is that, look, I'm having a midlife thing. I'm not getting into, I'm not having an affair. All I want is a car. And she would say yes to that, right? It just, it's my daily reality. And so how can I live here And know the need and see that it's dangerous and these are the last days. And be living in a radical way where I am saying how much, how simply can I possibly live so I can start giving more and more away in the name of Christ and for his glory. There is a rich man in David Platt's church comes to his office After they've been studying the story of the young rich ruler, this is Mark chapter 10 sort of stuff. He sits down on David Platt's couch and he says, I think the things that you're saying, I think the things that you're saying are crazy. And then then he pauses, David Platt looks at him, he doesn't know where the conversation is going. But then the man continues and he says, but I think you're right. And so now I think I'm crazy for thinking the things that I'm thinking. The guy was in the process of selling his large house and was deciding to give away many of his possessions. And he looks at David Platt with tears in his eyes and he says that at some point I'm wondering, am I being unwise? Am I being irresponsible? Then he goes, I can't imagine standing before God and God saying, you didn't keep enough for yourself. I can't imagine him saying that. He goes, I'm just confident he's going to take care of me. Now let me ask you, if you honestly look at this equation would you come up with anything less than radical? No, let's say right here, right? So, so the, the proposal I'm giving is live simply and give generously, right? Uh, live simply, give generously. I think that's actually kind of radical. But here's the thing, if you don't see any of this, and I'm just showing you the application, you go, yeah, that's pretty radical, that's pretty crazy, right. But let me ask you, if you add these up, these variables, that the the money we've been given is a gift, we live in the last days, hoarding it for self-indulgent is dangerous, and there is such a great need. If you come up with anything less radical, that would be more crazy, agreed, we're, it, it's a radical application because of all the variables. But if you look honestly at those variables and you come up with something less radical, that is more crazy. That is more crazy. And so the gospel is calling us to apply. The gospel is calling us to be radical. The gospel is calling us to be countercultural. Now, at the end of the equation, let me say this. You, you are looking in this equation, okay? But you go, whoa, 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 wait, Pastor Andrew. Are you saying that I can't buy a house in the Bay Area? You might be saying, Pastor Andrew, don't you own a house? I, 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 all I'm saying is this. We're all, in the, the, we're all looking at the same variables together. And before God and the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of community, we need to add these up and apply as the Holy Spirit leads. If you add these up and in a clear conscience in Christ, you're like, yep, I actually feel like live simply, give generously does entail buying a house. Then maybe, as God wills, you should buy a house. You're going, look, are you saying that I shouldn't save for retirement? Look, I'm just saying, look at the equation. If you add these up and it makes sense to you to store for retirement, then as God says yes, store for retirement. But let me just ask you this question. Are you storing for a kind of retirement that smells like self-indulgence? Or are you saving for the kind of retirement when you look at it, it's simple? Same principles that are being applied. Same principles that are being replied. I want to say one last thing I um, hope you don't think this is a, a break in the thought process. Some of you might want to remember this. I just want to say I realized that this morning that if you switch C and B and you look at the consonants it says oh L. It says golden I don't know, there's some irony to that. But anyways, my my point is, let's let's memorize this. As we're making decisions, like, what was the argument that Pastor Andrew had? First of all, my money and possessions are a gift from God. Praise you, God, for that. And then I'm going with, oh, right now we live in the last days. There is urgency here, right? There's judgment and a new world right around the corner. And you know hoarding for self-indulgence is dangerous and the need is great okay, maybe I should buy the new iPhone X. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should buy that. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm just saying work it through a James 5 equation with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be careful of self-deceit and do as the Lord leads you to do. Now, Jesus here gives us a logical invitation, but I want to be the first to admit and say it is really hard to do. None of us, especially myself, feel like we have fulfilled this. I don't feel like I have in the past year lived simply and give generously. I would like by God's power to change that. I'm not living worthy of the gospel like I should. I want to work on that. Maybe you want to work on that with me. But here's the thing. I feel like I have failed in doing this to be honest with you and I also feel like I don't have much confidence in myself that I'll be able to pull this off because everything around me, I don't know, I don't, when I look at American culture, they're not really living like this and so I just have not a lot of confidence in myself that I'll be able to live counterculturally. Do you know what I need and do you know what you need? We need a savior. Do you know what we have in Jesus? We have a savior. Maybe you feel guilty for not living simply and giving generously. We have a Savior who died on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Maybe you feel like you don't have the courage to pull this off, to live simply and to give generously. We have in Jesus someone who goes ahead of us, paves the way for us to follow. The scripture says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We haven't done it. He forgives us. We need courage to do it. He did it. And he beckons us to follow. We're going to receive communion now. Let's pray first. Pray with me. Father, as we celebrate Holy Communion, we remember Jesus Christ who was rich. And yet, he gave it all up and he became poor. And in his poverty, he showed us death on the cross. And through his death, he forgave all our sins so that we might become rich. In this holy endeavor, we know we are not alone. Jesus went first. Jesus did it for us. And Jesus beckons us to follow his way of life. We won't be able to do it without your courage. And I pray, Father, that you will give us the courage to follow Jesus, to live simply, and to give generously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.